Good evening. I would ask if you would uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the 8th chapter of Ezekiel, which was read earlier. I also want to, want to express that it is a privilege to be able to stand before you, this being the last time we're going to be assembled in, in, in this fashion. And I hope that uh, we're all going to this transition of, of times with an open mind, trusting that the men that lead us have prayed and thought about this decision for a long time. And if you don't think they already do, I, I can tell you for a fact that they have thought and prayed about this for a long time. And ultimately, each of us looking for nothing but the success of this congregation as we strive to do that which is pleasing to our God. All right. Really, all I want to do for us this evening is engage our minds into the text of the Bible. I want us to, to broaden our knowledge of the Word of God, perhaps in a place where we're not too familiar with. Now, as we come to this place, Ezekiel chapter 8, know that the prophet Ezekiel is in the midst of his ministry. If you look back at chapter 1, you'll see that Ezekiel was a young priest who was among the captives of Jerusalem in Babylon by the river Kibar. And he receives visions from God. He sees these strange uh, visions with all the, the, these odd descriptions. And we don't really know all, all what they mean, all what, the, what, what makes them significant. But we do know what, what says in chapter 1 and verse 27 that this was the appearance of the, the likeness of the glory of the Lord. From there, God commissions Ezekiel to be his prophet and to be the watchman over the house of Israel. And then in various and again some, some strange ways... Ezekiel tells Israel about the fact that uh, in, in, in captivity still they are rebellious. And then he d depicts the, uh, the siege of Jerusalem as well. Now as we, we've made our way to chapter 8. We're going to find a continuous flow from chapters 8 to chapter 11. And we're going to briefly look at chapters 8 and 9 this evening and see what, the significant, what significance it may hold for us today. Look at verse 1. It says, then it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day on the, on the month, that I sat in my house with the elders of Judah, sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and there was like a, a, likeness, a likeness like the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his waist and, and, and downward fire, and from uh, his waist and upward like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. He stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my hair. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the Lord God of Israel was there like the vision that I saw on the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift your eyes now towards the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north and there... Uh, north of the altar gate was the image of jealousy in the entrance. Okay, So Ezekiel is, is sitting in his house with the elders of Judah. And then this manifestation of God, uh, this appearance of fire, takes him by his hair. And the Spirit of God lifts him up between earth and heaven. So without speculating too much, we, we are somewhere here not of, of, of this this, this planet. Obviously, we're, we're somewhere between earth and, and, and heaven here, where, where God has brought Ezekiel. And he brings him to Jerusalem. Is this literally Jerusalem? No, because at this time, Jerusalem is, is laying in, in, in ruins by, by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon having destroyed it. So this is a vision of Jerusalem. 
And Ezekiel says that the glory of the God of Israel was here, like the vision that he saw in the plain. That's a reference back to chapter 1. And he's brought to the temple. And what does he see at the temple? He sees something called the image of jealousy. What exactly this is can't be said. Some kind of idolatrous image that provoked jealousy. Provoked who to jealousy? That would, that would be God. Remember what he told Moses in Exodus 20, 4 through 5. You shall not make yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, God, am a jealous God. All right. Continuing with verse 6. He says, furthermore, he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go away from my sanctuary. Now turn again, you will see greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And then he said, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and and, and there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around the walls. And, and, and there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in their midst stood uh, Jaazaniah, the son of uh, Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel uh, do in the dark, every man in the, in the room of his idols? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, turn again and you'll see greater abominations that they're doing. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And then to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping over Tammuz. Then he said to me, have you seen this? O son of man, turn again and you will see greater abominations than these. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord. And their faces towards the east. They were worshiping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit abominations, which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. They have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I also will act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. So Ezekiel enters the temple, and what does he see? He sees a great big mess. There were all sorts of creeping things portrayed in the temple. All these animals that were considered unclean swarming the temple. Every idol that you can think of was portrayed on the walls. Uh, the, the elders of, of, of Israel lighting their, their incense to these idols in the dark, thinking that God didn't see what they were doing. Notice that they didn't deny that Yahweh was God. What did they say? They, they, they knew who he was, but they chose to go after these idols, which were nothing instead of the God that they knew existed. These women were weeping over this, this God named Tammuz. These men with their, their backs to the temple, worshiping the sun, the sun was, was supposed to be something that reflected the glory of the one that created it. But here, the, the object beca- uh, of worship became the creation. And did you notice the same kind of phrase that God uses over and over again? He says, do you see or, or have you seen? Ezekiel, do you see what they've done to my house? 
Do you see what they've done to, to my city? And what had they really done? They had made that which was holy to be unholy. They had, as Jesus said, cast their pearls before swine. Look at chapter 9. He says, Then he called me out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, with, uh, which faces north, each with his battle axe in hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. Then uh, they went in and stood before the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done with them. To the others he said in my hearing... Go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eye spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens, little children, and, and women. But do not come near anyone whom is the mark and begin at my, begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders uh, who were before the temple. And then they said to them, defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. And they went out and killed in the city. So it was that while they were killing them, I was left alone, and I fell on my face and cried out and said, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel and the pouring out of your fury on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of bloodshed. And the city is full of, of perversity, for they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, the Lord does not see. And as for me also, my eye will ne neither spare, nor will I have pity, but I will recompense their deeds on their own head. Just then the man clothed with, with linen who had the inkhorn at his side reported back and said, I have done as you commanded me. So Ezekiel con continues to see that, that this vision provided by God and those who cried uh, over those who were throwing themselves before these idols were given a mark on their forehead to distinguish them from those, again, throwing themselves at, at, at these idols. And, and old, young uh, men, women, children who didn't have this, this, this mark on their forehead, were utterly slain. And while Ezekiel was seeing all of this, he was almost forced out to cry, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of, of Israel in the pouring out of your fury on Jerusalem? Ezekiel was worried that, that God would forget to relent in the midst of his righteous anger. But Yahweh pretty much tells Ezekiel, don't worry about that. I know who needs to be repaid according to their unrighteousness, and I will do it. God had seen all of the abominations going on in his house. He saw the, the, the unclean creatures portrayed and creeping in his sanctuary. He saw the elders of Israel burning incense to all these idols and pretending that, that God couldn't see them in his house. He saw the women weeping and, and wailing over this, this foreign God. He, and he he saw these men with their backs to his house, worshiping something that he himself had created. And he came to the conclusion that this needed to be put to an end. And he had every right to do so. So that's the eighth and the ninth chapters of the book of Ezekiel. Perhaps something we don't hear all that often. Perhaps imagery that might be a little strange to us. But let's continue our thoughts about it, uh, about, about these chapters by way of just some simple observations of this text. Number one. Number one, the house of God turned into the house of idols. This uh, covering all of chapter 8. 
Remember what the point of the temple was. First you had the tabernacle. God showed Moses the, the instructions surrounding it, how to build it, what, what, what to put in it, which ended with the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle, Exodus 40 and verse 34. Then you have the temple, which was made the, the permanent dwelling pl- or the permanent uh, pl- place to rest in Jerusalem, established by Solomon because his father David had too much blood on his hands, and, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple as well. You look at 1 Kings 8, verses 10 and 11. The temple was meant as a place of praise, a place of, of prayer, a place where sacrifices were done to signify the forgiveness of sins. Now look at it. I, I know that what Ezekiel is seeing is a vision, but again, it is swarming with, with, with unclean animals. It is filled with, with, with foreign gods. God is not worshipped, but his creation is worship, worshipped instead. And no, I, I'm not going to go through the usual spiel about how we all can commit an idolatry in, in, in the ways that we don't prioritize God and we instead prioritize other things. That's true, but uh, you know we'll, we'll save that for another day. But... Don't you think that this process from the temple being God's sanctuary to a den of idolatry, do you think that this happened overnight? I wouldn't think so. Did, did, did they worship Yahweh as God in the temple one day and then decide to bring in the idols uh, the next all at, at, at once? Did, did they hold a formal meeting and decide, you know, we're, we were worshiping God, but now we're, we're, we're deciding we're going to switch over to, to idols? This was a process that that would have taken time. And isn't this a process that can affect any believing body of Christians, any believing body uh, who who believes in a living God? Not that you're going to walk into many church buildings and you're going to see idols and and unclean animals portrayed on the walls. But you have some congregations, like what Jesus said about the church at at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. He says, you've got a reputation that you're alive but I know that you are actually spiritually dead. Paul warned the elders at Ephesus to be watchful of savage wolves making their way into the flock in Acts 20 and verse 29. They were going to come out and blatantly say that they were here to corrupt uh, the church, but that they were to come in, profess something that was just a little off that would steamroll into spiritual corruption. Paul told the Corinthian brethren that, that opposed to the physical temple that they may have been used to, the temple uh, under the, the Christian dispensation were them, or were Christians, and that's in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. So we in the church, we specifically at, at this congregation, need to be sure that we aren't heading down a path that, that turns us from the temple of the living God to a spiritual house of idols. That's the first observation. Second one is that judgment began in the house of God. I've got verses 1 through 11 on there. Uh, Specifically, I think, uh, what's that, verse 7? Nope, verse 6. So begin at my sanctuary. Judgment began at the temple of God. So defilement came at the temple, and this is exactly where God's judgment began. Now, this very closely relates to a section of Scripture in the New Testament. First uh, Peter 4, verses 12 through 17. Read along uh, here because it's pretty lengthy reading. Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which, you, which try you as some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed that you may be glad with exceeding joy. 
If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or any busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as, uh, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So Peter was warning his audience, the brethren there, to not be surprised when fiery trials came their way. But notice the reason at the end, verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. I've got to wonder, maybe not, but if, if Peter had Ezekiel in mind whenever he said this in the back of his mind, because, you know, even though a lot of us are, for the most part, ignorant about the book of Ezekiel, those in the first century, particularly the, the Jewish Christians, for the most part, wouldn't have been. But judgment began at the house of God. That was true for Ezekiel and his visions. That was true for Peter in his day. But what, what we might be able to glean from this is that the house of God, again, which is us, is held to the highest of standards. If you know the truth, if you've been shown the way to eternal life, if you've been washed in the blood of Christ, if you've committed, to, uh, committed yourself to, to God's will, seeking first the kingdom, then you're going to be held accountable for that knowledge. You will be held accountable for how diligent you have been in this life to getting to know God through his word. You're going to be accountable for what you did with the gospel that you, you, you came to know. How good of a steward you were of the good news of God's redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. And if, if we do nothing with that, 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 the time that we have, if we just sit on this knowledge that we have and deprive the world of, of, the, of, of that knowledge, then rest assured God will judge as he sees fit. Scripture tells us that God's judgment is completely 100% justified. And as he took vengeance in places like here in Ezekiel 8 and, and, and 9... He has not left this nature, his just nature, in the Old Testament. Judgment began at the house of God. Last one, third observation, is that their wickedness drove God out of his own house. From chapter 9, verse 3. We kind of skipped over this point, uh, or this verse in chapter 9, verse 3. In Ezekiel, he says, Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub, where it had been to the threshold of the temple, and he called... To the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. side. Where had God's glory or his presence resided? In the temple, yes. Specifically at the Ark of the Covenant, at, at, at the mercy seat, which had the images of, of cherubim on it. What do we see in chapter 9, verse 3? We see the glory of God had gone up from the cherub. So what is, is God's glory or what is his presence doing? It's moving. Well, let's, let's trace the glory of the Lord quickly. We saw in chapter 8 and verse 4 that the glory of the God of Israel uh, was there whenever Ezekiel was suspended between heaven and earth and received visions. Again, chapter 9, verse 3, his presence begins to move away from the cherub. You look at chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, his glory paused at, at the threshold of the temple. Now, read with me, if you would, chapter 11, verses 22 and 23. 
Ezekiel says, So the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them. And the glory of the Lord went from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain which is on the east side of the city. Where is God's glory or his presence? Where is it now? It's gone. It's to the east. God had literally and figuratively removed himself from his chosen people because of their great wickedness and rebelliousness. Had Israel been wicked before? Yes. Yes, they had. But in some sense, God's presence was still among them. But at this point, he's already punished them by letting them be carried away into captivity. And it's as if he's so fed up at this point because even whenever they're here, they're still wicked. They're still rebellious. They still persist in their wickedness as you would see later in the book. And you're going to see that they're not even going to take responsibility for being there. So, again, it's almost as if God is just fed up with them to the point where he removes himself from these people. What had made the temple so special? What made the temple so special? Was it the gold? Was it the furniture? Those things were impressive, yes, but what made the temple so great is that God's presence was in it. Don't think for a moment that that is unchangeable, though. His goodness and his mercy is contingent on, on our willingness to show our love towards him by keeping his commandments. It is a rational thing that, that God would just watch from the sidelines as, as we disrespect him and tarnish the name of the son that we wear as we live in, in continuous sin without doing something about it. That, that he would allow a, a rebelliously sinful person to live in his presence for an eternity. Because as we see, as we see here... Once the, the wickedness of the children of Israel progressed to the point where they would not come back, he withdrew himself from them. Okay? So, as we come to a close, I guess the obvious question is, is your life filled with abominable things? With unclean things? Is your life filled with idols? Have you replaced the living God with things that just cannot compare to him? Because, again, judgment begins at, at the house or the temple of God, which should be a motivator for us to be sober and, and, and vigilant, always striving to live up to the name of Christ. Invitation this evening will be, will be offered for those who have a need to respond. And only you know if you truly need, need to. There's nobody that, that can force you. It is completely your, your choice if you're struggling this evening, if you have questions about your eternal residence today. Don't hesitate. Please come now as we stand.